Welcome back to The Poptimist. I am your host, Taylor Berryman. You can find the show on all major streaming platforms. Like, subscribe, tell a friend. You can also email me at thepoptimistpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram as the underscore poptimist or on Facebook as Taylor Berryman. Monday, we were supposed to put up a new episode of Man of Science, Man of Faith about the Bruce Springsteen album, Nebraska. We encountered a technical issue that will be going up next Monday. So be on the lookout for that. Milos, I've been having dreams that are weird as fuck lately. Have you? Me too. (laughs) My dream, I had a dream last night and it was, uh, I got punched in the head and I got like a concussion. I felt it in my dream. Like I, I physically felt pain in my dream or at least that's what my mind allowed me to do. And I woke up this morning and I, I just felt like, oh shit, I think I've been making bad decisions lately because I haven't been using my head to make decisions. That's wild. My dreams have not been that weird. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, so what kind of bad decisions do you think you've been making then? I won't discuss them in great detail, <laughs> but there have been some poor decisions made upon my behalf. It, it, anytime I have crazy dreams, it lets me know that I'm going maybe too off the rails and things that I'm trying to do, no matter what it is, whether it's trying to do too much, stuff with dating, any of that. And I always kind of listen to my dreams whenever I start having really weird ones. Mm -hmm. And I honestly make life decisions based off of what my dreams tell me. Really? Yeah, because I feel like it's my unfiltered subconscious speaking to me. Yeah. I've never really felt that way about my dreams. I guess it's because they're too like they're too off the wall or not about anything relevant. But that's interesting that you think that way. Um, what what's some other dreams that you've had recently that you can remember at least? Well, I had a weird dream earlier uh, this week. Well, last week now. Whenever we had a snow day and I was up super late, and then I we basically the whole week last week was a snow day. Yeah. Nashville shut the fuck down because of the snowstorm, which we talked about in the last episode. But I had uh, meditated for a little while and I fell asleep while meditating. Do you ever do that? Do you ever drift off while meditating? And you wake up like two hours later, you're like, fuck, I didn't mean to do that. But the dream that I had while I was meditating, um, I had fallen asleep And I had this strange, I was in this strange world that looked like the normal world, but there was weird shit in it. Like I was driving in this grocery store, Harris Teeter. I don't know if you've ever heard of them before. No. But they're they're like a Southern grocery chain. They're kind of fancy. Oh, yeah. They're they're kind of like Publix. Mm. But I was driving and um, I saw that Harris Teeter was closed. Like the Harris Teeter sign was pulled down off of. It, and something else was put put up there. I can't remember what it was. And it was something like Kroger or Albertsons or something like that replaced it. So it was like a lower quality grocery store. And I took a right turn because it was at an intersection. And I pulled into this hospital. And I went there and this FBI agent wanted to talk to me about vampires. <laughs> what? So she met with me and she was telling me all about these vampires. And it was stuff that in the dream, I already knew everything she was telling me. Like I was an expert on it and smash cut. I was to me being in this house. That was my house in a house I've never lived in. It looked like a haunted house. So yeah. And it was Halloween and all these children were trick or treating. There was all kinds of like little monsters, but half of them were kids in costumes and half of them were actually little monsters 
that were able to come out because it was Halloween. And then they were trick-or-treating and I was giving them all candy. They still wanted candy too. And they were excited to be out and like mingling in the world because they're not able to usually be out. And they were asking me for stuff that I didn't have. And I told them to go talk to the ghost in the attic because apparently I had a ghost in the <laughs> attic. Like it, this was so factual to me. Like, yeah, talk to the the ghost in the attic upstairs. The ghost was name was uh was Abed. <laughs> so I don't know why I had that dream. It was basically just I have the weirdest fucking dreams, dude. Bro, that's wild. That is wild. Like I don't even know what to say about that. I love the community reference in your dream, though. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think it was was Abed from Community. I, I also, I did call the ghost Abed, though. <laughs> uh, but I don't know what the fuck it was about, dude. I don't know what that one means. Yeah. That, sometimes my, my dreams are just weird like that. I was thinking maybe, like, the vampire thing could have meant, like, maybe you have some vampires in your life that, like, suck the soul out of everything, you know? But the other, the tiny monsters thing, I, I can't make any, any rational sense out of that. Have you ever had a dream that's not in color? You know, yes. So this dream was very, like, muted in color. Yeah. But... I've also heard that we dream in black and white and we remember in color. I had a dream that was like all grayed out. You know what I'm saying? Like completely gray. Um, but I've never made sense out of any of my dreams and, and I can't make sense out of that one, dude. That's funny though. Have you ever, have you ever like uh, wrote down any, anything that you've dreamed? Did you? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sometimes if the dream is so strange, like sometimes I'll wake up. And as soon as I wake up, I write down step by step what happened in the dream and I'll try and read it to make sense of it to see if I can take any meaning out of it. Because my dreams are very, um, I don't know, they're always very subconscious and, and just weird. Yeah. I had this one dream uh, when we were still living in the other house over on Stratford. Oh, yeah. This was when COVID first started. I was thinking maybe one day I'll move to New Orleans. But this this wasn't in the dream. This was just like a thought I was having in my head. Because I was like, maybe I'll go there and get really good at jazz. And just do that like seven nights a week. Go play in jazz clubs. And just try and cut my teeth and do it. The dream was of me. I was in New Orleans in this dream. And I had gone to a pawn shop. But it was like a guitar center. It was as big as a guitar center. It was like a warehouse kind of. Oh, wow. And I went in there, I tried to buy a guitar, I can't remember what happened, but then I went to this haunted house, and Michael Myers was there, from the Halloween movies. Yeah, was it actual Michael Myers, or was it like, some guy that was dressed up like him? Yeah, it was actual Michael Myers Oh in the shit. <laughs> so, all this fucked up shit started happening in the dream, everybody was freaked out and afraid. I went upstairs, all the way to the attic, and Matt Damon was there. <laughs> And his head was shaved and his arms and legs had been cut off. And there was like a chain link fence in the attic that he was, he had hooks in his back that he was being hung from. What? Yeah. That's terrifying. That's scarring. But then I decided that maybe moving to New Orleans isn't a good idea. You know, uh, that dream. That's what that dream meant to you? Yeah, that's what it meant to me. Otherwise, Matt Damon has no, you know, that, that, yeah. He's an even. East Coast boy, dude. He wasn't made for New Orleans. He got 
hooks in his back and hung on a fence. So have you had any dreams about like where you're from or like Florida or like Maine? Um, yeah, I've had one main dream. So this was when I was still living in Maine. Yeah. And it was the thing that this was, this dream made me decide to move to Nashville. So I was living in my one bedroom apartment that was really more like a studio apartment that just had a hallway mm-hmm. um, in Brunswick. And at the time I was working at BEK. I was driving my 2000 Pontiac Grand Am, which I've talked about bef- before in the past and how it was a shit car. And Phil Bryan was in this stream. Oh, yeah. And what was happening, I was driving my car in the dream. And I fell asleep in my dream driving the car. And when I woke up, the car was sinking into the ocean off of like a boat ramp in Maine. Wow. And Phil Bryan said to me, don't go after it because you'll die trying to, to chase it. And I don't know why, but I woke up that morning and was like, I'm going to move to Nashville and I'm going to do it soon. Wow. And that was around the same time that uh, the, the thing that moved me to Nashville was I got into a car wreck. Well, someone backed into my car. Uh, one of Ned's students, actually, was at the music school. Oh, really? That we both taught at. Yeah, yeah. We, were, we were actually rehearsing for King Jr. that day, which was the band that we played in with Nick Grote and a few other people that were, we were friends with. And we were having a rehearsal for an upcoming gig. And this guy, he just backed into my car and ripped off my bumper. Completely came off. Wow. So that gave me the money to move because I wasn't even in my car. So I was declared no fault on it. It was nothing that I did. And this was also around the time that morning I was super upset because I found out one of my ex-girlfriends was getting engaged and I was devastated. Yeah. And I called Ned and I told him I didn't want to teach that day. I didn't want to go in, didn't want to do anything. And he told me to stop being a bitch and come. So I did. And that's what happened. I ended up getting the money to move to Nashville. I got like $2,000. Yeah. And I just pocketed it immediately and was like, fuck it. I'm out of here. So it was pretty crazy. Yeah. So I, when I had that dream, I can't remember if it was before or after, but it was in a very similar time frame. Yeah. And it involved that car. So if, uh, if PB is ever in another dream, you'll know like a big change is yes. about to come. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, no. he, like there's always something that like, I've heard this. It's like, um, there's some kind of mythology that if, if a certain being is in your dream, it means something. Like, it means, like, big change is about to happen. PB is your, like, that's your thing. Yeah, <laughs> maybe so. I I also had this other dream where I was at this. This was at a particularly hard time in my life emotionally where I was starting to own all my bullshit. Like, yeah. own my childhood and accept the fact that it happened. Yeah. Because I had a hard time doing that. I couldn't deal with it because so many things that I felt were like shame induced. I felt a lot of fear. I felt a lot of hesitation. Um, I doubted myself, but not really my, like my abilities. I've never really been insecure about that stuff unless it's my singing, you know, um, which, you know, I'm insecure about that, but yeah. So this, this dream, I was really fucking going off the deep end. This was a time period. I had just moved into the Stratford house. So this is before you, you were in there. Yeah. And I had been fired from a job I was working with 
with Isaac. Oh, yeah. He had gotten me a job. They fired me after like two months. Wow. Because I, I did a horrible job, dude. I just listened to Joe Rogan all day. I don't, I don't want to work. You know what I mean? <laughs> I feel that. Um, so, yeah, everything was kind of in shambles. And that was only after a few months, like four or five months after I got fired from yeah. the apartment job I had. And I'll get to the dream in a second because this all ties into it. I'll go into a little tangent about that apartment job. I realized looking back on it recently that I felt so much shame doing that job because morally I was so against what I was doing, like evicting people, fucking people over. And it was, there was nothing I could do about it because I worked for the company. It was my job to do that shit. Yeah. And I wouldn't go out of my way to fuck with the residents. I would always try and help them. So I felt like it was really below my moral standard, especially everything that happened with that blowjob situation, yeah. which I'll give a quick recap on that. So basically what had happened at this job was the assistant manager, she got caught taking maintenance guys into vacant apartments and blowing them. Yeah. And I didn't like this assistant manager. I really fucking hated her, but they only fired her. They didn't fire any of the dudes that were involved with it. Yeah. And I made a strong fucking moral stance on it. Yeah, I mean, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's yeah. like you have to fire everybody. Yeah. But we were at a point in time where it was very hard to hire maintenance guys. And we were already like, we had 400 work orders open or something ridiculous like that. Oh, no. And there's like 400 apartments. And a lot of them were like broken ACs because the maintenance guys weren't doing shit. They were just getting high all day and getting their dick sucked by the manager. They were just having blow bangs in vacant apartments yeah. on her lunch break. Or she was going to inspect the apartments to make sure they were ready for move-in. But what she was really doing was fooling around with all these guys. Yeah. Um, but I felt a lot of shame for not getting up and walking out of that job as soon as that event happened. Yeah. Because in my opinion, it was like, I didn't think it was right that they, they did that. You know what I mean? Like the people that were involved in the activity at work or whatever... Um, but I also knew I wasn't perfect. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't do anything like that at work or any shit like that, but I felt bad for a lot of the things I had done. A lot of the relationship patterns I had with women were not healthy. Um, I would jump into things very quickly and it would blow up just as quick in my face, whether it was due to me or due to them. Cause I was attracted to a lot of unhealthy women due to the fact that I never had a good relationship with my mom because she never told me that she loved me. But that's a story for another day. But anyways, I done this deep dive on myself. I fucking ended up in rehab and a lot of therapy trying to figure out where I went wrong in my life because my morals and who I believe myself to be as a person, I was so far fucking removed from it. Mm. And basically what was happening at this point in my life, I was just starting to drive for, for Uber and Lyft. This was right at the beginning of that. And I would, uh, I would get so depressed in this time period. I, it felt like there was parts of my soul that were sunburned and the, it was starting to peel off and itch and sting. Oh, yeah. And I was finally dealing with shit. I was getting ripped wide open and I would stop my car in the Kroger fucking parking lot and cry while listening to Desperado by the <laughs> Eagles. But the dream that I had 
I was at this gas station. It was nighttime. There was nobody around. It, it, there was like a, you know, just like those gas station lights that are there, like the poles, mm-hmm. and it just shines over and it's still kind of dimly lit. Yeah. While I was there and I saw my grandfather, uh, my grandpa Ralph, who I always had a, a really good relationship with. We were very similar in personality. He was, he was funny. He was a hard worker, moral. Um, you would have liked him. Yeah. Nice. I think he would have liked you, maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he definitely would have liked Zach. But the point is, I saw him there. I can't remember what he said to me. But he was there, and he had on this red jacket that he always wore. And I just felt like everything was going to be okay and that I was on the right path. Um, but shame is something that I've dealt a lot with in life. And I felt like that was the first real moment of me being delivered from shame. Yeah. Cause I, it's something I still struggle with. You know, I, I feel a lot of, a lot of shame. And what I learned about shame is that it's something, it's another voice that someone else puts in you. It's no one is born ashamed. Yeah. Maybe just you. <laughs> But like I, I get that, like you know, like having shame. Like there's things that I've I've done that I felt shame over. Whether it was like how I treated someone, like a girl, in my life. Like maybe I I made the wrong moves and you know screwed things up. Said something stupid that you didn't mean. Yeah, said stuff so- like that. Yeah, like in fights or something. You know, like there's some things like I've said while fighting that that I've just you know felt shame over after the fact. Especially like looking back, like when I was like 18 now, which has been two years ago. Just like some of the like the messed up things that I said, like it's no wonder like they left, you know, like yeah, and that's what I started realizing for myself is that I was internalizing everything, and I also, when I start to feel a lot of shame, I begin to isolate myself mm-hmm. and I wall myself off from everything, and I don't talk to anybody. When me and you first met. You were very different. You know what I'm saying? Not in like, uh, not really personality, but like you, you were in a big isolation period. I would remember like, especially when I very first moved into the house, I barely even knew I had a second roommate. I would never, I'd never seen you. Like, I was gone a lot probably back then too, driving. Yeah. And just like out of the house, right? Yeah. Or if, if you were in the house, you were in your room, like you, you, I would barely see you. Like, I, I that was also due to the, uh, the situation we were in with that too. Well, yeah, yeah. Because here, I'll go off on another tangent and tell a story about living in that house. So before you moved in, we had a roommate that was a straight up fucking sex offender. And I didn't know until after I moved in. So this was the same time period that I got fired from the apartments. I had moved out of the, the apartments that I was working at. And doing Uber and Lyft and all of that. And I moved into this situation. I didn't find out this guy was a sex offender until I was a month, two months in one day. He told me, he's like, I just want to let you know I'm a sex offender. And I'm like, what happened? And he told me he had groped a girl at a party on new year's Eve on base. He was in the air force. He was in the military and he got like court martialed and thrown out and all of this shit. And he was a very dark, weird dude. Yeah. There was a bunch of things that just didn't make sense about him. He was very egotistical. 
He was also a stagehand, and he, or not a stagehand. He he did like the the rigging, you know. Oh yeah. And that whole world, dude. That is some other level shit, dude. The people who do that. Yeah. Like, no offense to stagehands or anything, but a lot of them they're degenerates. Pretty, they're pretty dark, bro. I, I've, I, you know, I've worked a few stagehand gigs, like especially when I first moved here. I know you have. I've heard stories. Yeah. Um, I did not like it, and it's dark, bro. A lot of people there are. And I'll say this: Look, I respect the fact that they're making a show happen. They are an essential mm-hmm. piece of that. But a lot of them are egotistical fucking pricks. Like they're like, yeah, this this wouldn't be happening unless it was for me. Yeah. And it's like, nah, bro, you would be working construction unless it wasn't for the fact that you'd be doing this. And that's not even saying anything bad about construction workers. I'm not trying to say anything negative about anybody's profession. But there is a level of arrogance that fucking yeah. these people, these stagehands had about what it is that they did that I did not understand. And I would say that there's even a lot of stagehands would, that would agree with what we're saying. You know what I'm Probably saying? Probably so. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. Because a lot of them are musicians that are working just like side gigs. Yes. And there's a lot of them that are musicians that originally moved to town to be a musician, and then they became a stagehand. Yeah. And that's just, it, it is what it is, yeah. you know? And there's there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want to say anything bad about that, yeah. but it's weird, dude. They have this weird entitled arrogance. Yeah. Or it's like, bro, what are you what are you really yeah. doing? Yeah. And yeah, I I remember when I first like started doing stagehand stuff. I I worked for like a really really weird company. It wasn't like um, Rhino or any of the bigger companies. You know what I'm talking about? It was a small one, like maybe Union Forty Two. Or something like that. One of the unions or whatever. And I remember like walking in there and it was just like, a, I thought it was a room full of like, I hate to say, a room full of homeless people. Because I walked in there and it was like, I was expecting people maybe my age. And they, and a was, lot of the people are addicted to drugs. Oh, yeah. And they work at by the week hotels. Yeah. It, it was a rough, it was a rough time. It was at Opry, Opryland Hotel. Uh-huh. And uh, the room that they had us go in was like, to like sign the sheet or whatever that you showed up was like behind a curtain and like ridiculously hard to find. Yeah. And I was like late. I was like 30 minutes late. And, um, because you didn't know where it was. I didn't know where it was. And there was no instruction on where they were at or what floor they were on. No, there, there never is. And there's no, like, you just have to know, you just have to be in the know. And like, I just lived here and I wasn't in the know. <laughs> well, they treat you too like, oh, you've never done this before. What are you a fucking bitch? Yeah. That's like day one, how they approach yeah. you. And I did like a few gigs with them and I was like, no, I'm not doing this. Cause they have the mentality of, oh, I hugged, I lugged this fucking gear for yeah. Judas Priest. And some of the, some of the people who do it, they have great stories Yeah, and it is interesting, but they're like, yeah. Def I worked for KG Elephant. Yeah, shit like that. And I'm like, dude, they live on our street. Yeah, <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like it's not a big deal. I don't, I don't understand that, but I don't know. Yeah, like whenever I was doing that, like I would always do like corporate stuff too. It was never anything fun. It was mostly like rolling out carpet for like eight hours. Yeah, you know, and just shit like that. It was so dumb. But yeah, it's it's a soulless place to be in. So I was working a lot of like odd jobs like that during during that time period too, where I 
didn't really know what was going to happen. And I had gotten away from doing The Poptimist. Mm-hmm. I had gotten away from that. I really wasn't talking to anybody. Like, I wasn't talking to any of my family, any of my friends. Really, the only friend I was communicating within that time period was Josh Norfleet. Because he lived right down the road from us at that point. Yeah. So he would stop by a lot and we would just hang and chill and talk. And um, that was one of the things that really helped me out a lot was having Josh around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was a dark time period. And it wasn't because my life was necessarily dark. It was because I was dealing with all the, the inner darkness that was in me. Yeah. All that shame. Mm-hmm. All that fear that made me isolate. Yeah, if there's one person that you want around when you're in a hole, it's Josh. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, like, yeah, if I was ever in, like, a really bad depression, Josh Norfleet's the exact person to have around. (laughs) Yeah, and that's that's what it was for me, you know, and I was hanging out with them a lot, and I was getting back into the fact that I was a musician because I had had a job for so long. Like had jobs, sales jobs in some degree, because even the uh, the apartment thing was a sales job because I would get commission from leasing apartments, and I was removed from that world now of working, and I was just hanging out with a bunch of musicians again, and of course Gabby and Isaac they they were around a lot. Yeah, I would always see them. They would always check on me. I would check on them, and I really wouldn't trade that time for anything in the world because I learned so much about myself. It was true isolation. Mm -hmm. I was talking to no one other than my Uber riders. I remember when I first started, dude, you know, um, where the, like anytime there was a a body of water and I was driving, I thought about just like, even if I had passengers in the car, I thought about pulling over off the side and just jumping off the bridge and I wasn't suicidal. I didn't want to kill myself, but I wanted to kill whatever that part of myself was. Yeah. I, that was the second most depressed, like depressed I'd ever felt. It was borderline suicidal depression, but it wasn't quite that because I was finding the will to live with myself for the first time. I didn't know how to do that. You had to fight those inner demons, dude. I was fighting them, man. Yeah. I was fighting them and I came out on the other end. And I still have them to a certain degree. I don't know if I think I can just control them better now. Mm-hmm. But it was a, a tremendous time period to just really discover myself and who I thought I was. I was journaling a lot. Yeah, I was like dialoguing with my inner child to see how that felt because that was something I never, I never really, I knew I had a fucked up childhood, but I didn't understand really the role that it had played in my development of life because it put this intense drive in me to always try and succeed and do better and be the one that can get things done for myself. Yeah. But the dark side of that was I really neglected everything else, my interpersonal relationships, which even today, I don't think I'm, I'm like a pro at, but I'm much better at it. Yeah. I I have really good friends now and like good friendships and to a certain degree I always have because I've had friends like Phil Bryan friends like Zach people like that in my life but I don't know it was a it it was the ugliness within myself that I finally met and I looked in the eye yeah bro that's that's deep man like 
finding those inner demons and stuff and like i guess talking about them out loud bringing them into the light is like a big deal you know yeah like realizing like step by step like this is what's wrong this is how to this is how i'm gonna fix it you know yeah like it's it's different than just like thinking like yeah that's wrong with me then like actually like bring it into like it can be uncomfortable Uh, talking about what i was ashamed about Mm -hmm. really did that for me and being finally able to admit to another person what it is i didn't like about myself or what actions i was taking that i didn't like Mm -hmm. because there was a lot of them yeah and um it's it's sometimes it can be difficult to definitely like admit to something like yes i was wrong for me at least unless like i haven't noticed (laughs) sometimes it can be difficult man no it's it's never it's never easy to really do that yeah especially if it's something personal like that you know what i'm saying like it's different than oops i deleted this now it's gone sorry my bad then like (laughs) is it millhouse is it (laughs) it's easier to admit stuff like that than is it millhouse (laughs) than like personal stuff you know yeah i i guess to a certain degree it is because it it, i think it's also impossible to really see yourself in a a true way Mm -hmm. you can be a self-aware person but there's still a blind spot you're gonna have because you can't see the way that you act all the time yeah you're just feeling and you're in the moment. At least that's how I feel. About I, it. Dude, I feel that way too. I, I often wonder how other people view me, you know, because like maybe I'm not the way I think I am. Maybe I'm not as, you know, maybe I'm not nice to everybody. Or you, maybe are, you are nice to everybody. You're too nice to everybody. Or maybe I'm not like, I don't know. Just you get what I'm saying though. Like maybe I'm not who I think I am. It's shit like that. Yeah, but I feel like you're also prone to overthinking it. Yeah, I'm an overthinker. You're prone to overthinking it and then getting afraid and you think about it too much and then don't don't <laughs> don't change whatever it is that you don't like about yourself. Yeah, I mean I mean <laughs> not not to talk massive shit on you on the podcast, but you have grown up a lot in the time that I've known you. Yeah. It's almost been 2 years. It's almost been 2 years, bud, which is crazy. But I mean like there's there's been a lot of change, dude, you know. There has. A lot of shit had to happen to get the We've experienced a lot together these past two years. It's between it's, the living situation we had and then co- the tornado, then COVID, yeah. then doing the podcast, you know, because we really, you started off in the podcast over a year ago now. Yeah. And we really haven't been doing, I mean, we did Man of Science, Man of Faith more frequently then we were doing the Poptimist for a while. Yeah. Like we've never done the Poptimist this much. Yeah. We're doing the Poptimist, you know, full, Every week. full on now. Yeah. Like this is, this is happening. It's a thing. It's a thing. And like going back to like remembering like the first Poptimist and, and stuff like the one that I did, like remembering doing it in the basement. Like that's. With know, Zach. With Zach. And, and he then, calls you Millhouse for the first time. Yeah. You know, like that's like solid now. I'm going to remember that for forever. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, th- those were some great times, but I feel like all of that was born out of me. Like even having that shit roommate that was the sex offender, 
that was almost the universe putting something in my way that I had to deal with because after that situation was managed, you came into my life. I will say my room had a very off vibe. It did. House. It had I a mean, bad mojo. The, ener- the energy in the house was bad because of him. Oh, yeah. It had a bad mojo. We definitely should have cleansed the house. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we should have. But we survived it. Yeah, we made it out on the other side. It's it's funny to look at that now and see that that was really the end of a chapter of my mentality in life. And then as soon as you appeared is when like it was another new mentality that I had. So I have, I have a question. I don't really think I've ever asked you this. When I came into the house, were you like, maybe this guy's a sex offender. I should watch out. Did you have like any kind of like... No, uh, no, because... Uh, our other roommate told me he was like he's 18 he's young he's cool he plays keys well he's a good singer um and i was a little bit hesitant just because i didn't know how good of a judge of a character he is because he moved in with a sex offender you know what i mean yeah 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 um but once once when was the first time that we really actually hung out dude i don't know man i've i've thought about that before i really don't know how it happened because like i remember like the first it, it had to have been at least a month in of me living there. Because, and you were working at Sam Ash at the time. Yeah, well, yeah, I moved in and then I got fired in like the same month. I moved in in August, right? And then I got fired that same month and then I had to like scrounge for a job. Mm-hmm. And you started working for Kevin. Yeah, I started working for Kevin that same month. And um, But I really don't remember the first time we hung out. It had to have just been at the house because, no, I know. Our old roommate, the first time me and you actually hung out was when we all jammed together. Yes. That was the first time we hung out. I remember that. Yeah. And then I think I probably, this was right around the time frame when I was going to be releasing Gina Gina. This was early on in in that. And I had shown you that and I was like, check this out. And then we started talking about music and. Yeah. Well, I, I remember when you released it, I was there that night. It played on the radio. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, I think so. And we played it in the living room. We all listened to it play on the radio. I barely remember that. But I remember yeah. that like vividly. Like I remember because you'd showed it to me and then you released it. You showed it to me before you released it. Then you released it. And then we listened to it on the radio. Mm-hmm. That might've been like the first actual hangout, not jam and yeah. thing. But yeah, that, um, that's always going to hold like a special place for like my memories of like first moving to Nashville. Yeah. Cause that was my introduction to Nashville. Yeah, I mean, you had known Vic, and you got to see, like, the upper echelon of what, like, Nashville yeah. is, what it can be, and then you moved in with us, and you saw me hanging out with people like Zach and Josh, <laughs> and we're just trying to make it, you know what I mean? Yeah. We're just, like, getting stoned and, like, doing our thing and yeah. talking shit, talking music. But that was, like, so basically, like, my living with you at the Stratford house was my first adult like life yeah because living with Vic was like living with parents yeah except not like Vic didn't care where I was at or anything like he didn't I could stay but he late. was concerned for your well-being he was concerned for and he still is yeah but um like I that, didn't get uh, not not that I didn't give a fuck but I was also like doing my life too yeah and figuring things out yeah but like that was like my first adult like you know living situation which was cool I mean it was cool it, it spawned into something that was good. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it now, 
I, you started working for Kevin. You met Gerard and Ryan. Yeah. People Moving in with me, you got to meet Josh Norfleet. You got to meet Zach. You're the producer of Man of Science, Man of Faith. You're the producer of this show. Yeah. You just played over the weekend. We played with Josh at his session, which we've been trying to no fucking joke do for over a year now. Yes. To try and get it done. We probably had five or six rehearsals. We had a rehearsal scheduled for Thursday night, but it snowed again. So we canceled. We went into the Trash Mid Studios on Saturday. Yep. And we knocked it out of the park. And uh, it was Vinny, uh, Vinny Longy from uh, Semi Supervillains. Mm-hmm. He was an engineer. Yes. And it was the first time you guys had like an outside engineer on at the studio, right? Yep. First time. And you had like, we had an A team basically yeah. there. We it had was, the A team for the, it was basically the first recording session at Trash Man. Yeah. And Trash Man All Stars. Trash Man Josh All-Stars. Norfleet and the Trash Man All Stars. <laughs> Dude, it was super cool, man. It was cool to to work with Vinny. I really like him. He's a super talented dude. Yeah. Um, Has a lot of good ideas. Yeah, and and I I definitely think he's going to come back often. I I hope so. You know, yeah, I hope so. I I really wanted to uh, to do the session there. I mean, you were talking about Josh recording there before the studio was even ready yet, dude. I remember talking about Josh recording there before there was even drywall in the building. Yeah, and me and I remember when Gerard was hanging the drywall and he was trying to get everything done. And this was back when we first started recording or first started practicing the set, like practicing for the session back like over a year ago. Yeah. And I was like, Gerard, if we could get the studio done, Josh might record here. And I was pushing him to do it. And he was like, dude, I don't think I can get it done in time. And now (laughs) he was like, dude, I don't think I can get it done in time. I was like, man, if you can get it done in two months, he had it done in two months. Yeah. (laughs) But everybody got COVID. (laughs) Everybody got COVID. The whole world got COVID. And then. Like, here we are a year later, finally getting it done. Yeah. It was a good feeling. It was a strenuous session. It was. But it wasn't stressful, though. No. I felt like we were all really being pushed because we had played together a bunch. Yeah. And we were used to playing together. But we had no rehearsal, basically, before this, which is not usually how I like to do things. Yeah. So we were kind of trying to knock the rust off. And plus... Really, the only one who's been gigging is Josh, mm-hmm. as well as James, uh, James Varner, who uh, who I play with in Emma Holden Trio, and who I also played with with Dustin Sellers. And there was one other. Oh, he did. Uh, he was a drummer for the Poptimus show too. So I I've always played with James, and we just we get along great, and we play together well. Yeah, you know, there's just good chemistry there. But James is in another band called The Year of October. And they have a single that they released off their record, Wastelands, called uh, Buried Redux. Um, And they are doing a live stream on March 19th with 30 Delusions, live from 615. Tickets will be $10. I believe they told me Dirty Delusions is playing. It's their record release show. Nice. So here's the song. Check it out.
Okay, we are back. Millhouse, hit me with the news. Daft Punk announces breakup after 28 years. Why did they break up? Uh, I think it was just time that, so they took a big hiatus. I don't know if you knew this. So after their last album, they basically hadn't done anything for like four years. Pretty sure it was like four or five years. Random Access Memories, I think, was their last album yeah. in 2014 or 15. And that was the one that had Get Lucky on it, which was a huge fucking hit. Yeah, and and honestly, like, Get Lucky is one of, in my opinion, one of the best mixed tracks of all time. As far as audio goes, dude, it's... They're big-time nerds. Oh, yeah. They've and, also worked with The Weeknd. Yeah, they have. Uh, I Feel It Coming. That's the song with The Weeknd on. I love that song. I mean, I'm... Like I'm not a huge Daft Punk fan, but like I like them a lot. I'm sad that they're they they have broken up. But did I asked you this? But you haven't seen the video they posted. No, it's it's like a full blown movie. It's like a Star Wars type thing. It's so cool. Um, You'll have to watch it. It's definitely definitely awesome. I always remember Daft Punk from when I was like a little little kid living down in South Florida. Because you just go into a clothing store and you'd hear like, one more time. Do you know that song? Yeah. One more time. Um, so I was always kind of familiar with them. And I liked some of the songs on Random Access Memory Memories or whatever it is. Uh, they did a song with Julian Casablancas from The Strokes on that album too called Instant Crush. That's really good. Which Cage the, uh, Cage the Elephant ended up covering on their acoustic album. And that was a really good version too. Yeah. So that's worth checking out. That's my recommendation for the week. But Daft Punk, interesting French band duo. Um, they started off as a band uh, called Darlin. And they really loved the Beach Boys. It was named after a Beach Boys song. And there was, I think, originally a third member of Daft Punk. It was one of the dudes from the band Phoenix. Mm. which is like an indie band that was big when I was in high school. They have that song, 1901, and Listomania, and a couple of others. But he ended up leaving. They became a duo and became Daft Punk. Yeah. They won six Grammys, which is cool. And, um, dude, I just really love their music. Um, they, I mean, they have a huge influence, if you really look at it, at like EDM culture and shows that are like that. Because yeah. they were basically the pioneers for that. Have you ever seen their live stuff? I've seen videos online because they, they wear, if you don't know who Daft Punk is, they wear those cool fucking robot helmets mm-hmm. that have like lights and shit. Well, the thing is, is like they made like a story that they're basically the robots and it's it's cool. Like if you look into all of it, there's, they've made their own story. Yeah. that They really got into like the theatrics of it. Yeah. And I love shit like that. Like the last video they posted, I love shit like that because it just finishes the story that they made. I, I don't know. I think it's so cool. Um, yeah, but their live show is crazy. Like their light show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They have a mega light show. I mean, look it up. It's it's crazy good. But well, R.I.P. Daft Punk. You will be missed. All right. We still got their music though. So and they're st- they're still technically alive. Daft Punk yeah. is just not around. So next article: Bobby Schmurda has been released from prison. He went to jail for. Murder, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like he went to jail for posting a rap song where he was gloating about murdering someone. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy that he did because a lot of rappers do. A lot. It must have been a little too on the nose. But, like, these rappers do this nowadays, but have they actually, like, 
Maybe some of them. Millhouse, like, are you being fucking racist right now? No, I'm not. I'm just saying like they probably haven't. So that's you why saying he belongs it. in jail because he's black, dude? No, it's Black History Month, bro. <laughs> you know I'm not saying that. We don't know if he actually did it. No. So what is what is his deal? Like he's he's out of jail now? Yeah, uh, Quavo picked him up from jail. Who's Quavo? Quavo, you don't know who Quavo is? No, he's uh he's in a, a rap band called the Migos. They've been around. They were big when I was in middle school. And high they school. they have that song "Bad and Bougie," right? Mm, yes. Yeah. They have a they have a bunch of hits actually. Um, they were huge when I was in high school and stuff. Uh, and they're still pretty big. But Quavo's like the lead of the group. Um, they all kind of do their own solo stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he tweeted that he was gonna pick up, you know, Bobby from a jail and everybody kind of thought it was a joke or whatever no he actually went and picked up bobby from jail and they hung out oh shit and they they threw like a a party in and they got bitches and shit right they got, they got bitches and shit yeah. at, a, at a hotel um so i mean he's on probation uh he's not supposed to leave a confined area for a while like this the state or something i i don't know the specifics of it it doesn't say the specifics it just says whatever his probation officer allows so, I mean, that could be the country. You yeah. know, he's not allowed to leave the country or whatever. But yeah, so that's um, he he's uh he Quavo personally escorted him from the facility, and I guess they're going to do a project together or something. I would Probably say, I would, so. I would say like because the last time Bobby released something was in 2018. Um, so I'd say that they're going to release something together. Probably as his like big comeback or whatever. I've not really listened to a lot of his music. Have you? No, I I looked it up just to kind of hear what it sounded like. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's he's not bad. I don't know. I just don't know how to judge it because like the kind of like rap I like is like Tyler the Creator. You know yeah. what I mean? Or Childish, Mac Miller, Mac Miller, Childish Gambino, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's okay. It's definitely on like the Migos level. If you, if you are a Migos fan, you will definitely like Bobby. Yeah. Like that's definitely. So on to the next one. Yes. Written by a friend. Our friend, Zach Lehman over at Russia today. Also the co-host of Man of Science, Man of Faith. Cancel culture refuses to stop coming after Woody Allen, despite having no new ammunition. Okay. So basically what the situation is, there was a new documentary released this week. I think it's uh, on HBO Max. Is that right? Yes. So it's, I think it's uh, also they do it, in, they're releasing it in episodes. But Woody Allen, the director of Annie Hall and a bunch of other movies. I've, I've never really been like a big Woody Allen fan. It's just not my cup of tea. He's a talented guy. But his daughter is accusing him of molesting her when she was a child and i don't buy it you don't buy it i don't buy it i don't believe it the thing that makes woody allen look kind of bad is his wife was mia farrow and she had an adopted daughter called soon yi that woody allen started dating when he was 50 and she was like 20 21 years old yeah so this is his ex-wife's child that she adopted. He, which is scummy. That's yeah. a scummy fucking thing to do. Yeah. I'm not saying that's good, bad, whatever. But to me, I watched a little bit of the documentary with Zach. And it seems like 
there's an elephant in the room which no one is acknowledging, which was Mia Farrow seems fucking crazy. She's not a state like mentally or emotionally stable person. Yeah. On top of that, they always talked about how in this documentary how Woody Allen was paying close attention to his daughter that he allegedly molested um, and not paying any attention to his son, Ronan Farrow, who suspiciously looks a lot like Frank Sinatra. Have you heard about this? No, I've not at all. So it is... Uh, people people straight up joke about this. Like people joke about this to Ronan Farrow, but Mia Farrow used to be married to Frank Sinatra, and she hooked up with him while she was still with Woody Allen. Oh wow! She got pregnant with Ronan, and it's alleged that it's actually Frank's kid. Look up a picture of Ronan Farrow right now and tell uh, me what you think. I will. I will. Tell me. Tell me a little bit more. So, Woody Allen, he's a director. Yes, uh, he's been around for a while. I've actually never heard. I've heard he's like name. a famous, critically acclaimed director, um, and he's done a but like his his movies are famous for being like set in New York. It's always a big part of it is uh, that he's in the city. Sometimes he plays himself. Sometimes he hires a better looking actor to yeah. play him in the movie. Okay, you cannot tell me for one second that this is not Frank Sinatra's kid. Dude. Yes, this is Frank Sinatra's kid. He looks exactly like exactly him. Exactly like him. Look up a picture of Woody Allen. Yeah, I know. I have a picture of Woody. Yeah. Allen. Okay. Yeah. So you see, that's not that dude's dad. No. You don't have to go on Mari to tell me that that dude's not his dad. Yeah. You know, like looks nothing like him. So here's what my theory is. I think Mia Farrow found out about Soon Yi and became very vindictive because around this time is when all these allegations started. Um, and he's also been cleared two times in the 90s. I think Connecticut, uh, the Connecticut State Police investigated Woody Allen yeah. for allegedly molesting his own daughter. And then the New York State Police uh, investigated Woody Allen for allegedly molesting his own daughter. And he got cleared both times. So I think there's some shit that's going on that's just like family drama turmoil shit. And they're just trying to drag him. I think they're tra- they've always been trying to... Because I think... Mia Farrow is upset about the fact that Woody Allen was banging her 21-year-old daughter at the time. Yeah. Whom he is still married to till this day. Again, I'm not saying it's right. Yeah. I personally would not hang out with the guy. I would think it's scummy behavior that I don't approve of. But let's call a spade a spade. They were saying he always ignored Ronan. Yeah. It's not that he's dead. Yeah. I think I think he knows too because he knew that she cheated on him okay. with Frank fucking Sinatra. Yeah. Talk about two very different dudes. Yeah. Woody Allen and Frank Sinatra. Both artists. Yeah. Both good artists. I mean, that dude definitely knows. Ronan definitely knows Frank Sinatra's his dad. There's a video of... Uh, you can look up on YouTube about Nancy Sinatra talking about Ronan Farrow. Oh, yeah. And we should also mention Ronan Farrow was the one who uh, basically brought all the Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein allegations to light. He was re- he was the investigative journalist really? that brought all of, the, uh, all of the Weinstein shit out and a bunch of other people and outed them for being predators and creeps. Yeah. But 
whenever he gets asked about the Frank Sinatra thing, he just laughs. He doesn't say what he thinks either way. But what I was saying is there's video of Nancy Sinatra, who also is, she talks about Ronan Farrow, and she speaks about him very lovingly, which is Frank's uh, daughter, Yeah, is Nancy. She played the song, These Boots Are Made For Walking. Yeah. Um, and she had a couple other song, great songs. She has some good music. You should check it out if you don't know it. But yeah, pretty fucked up, <laughs> that's right? That's pretty crazy. I didn't know any of that. Yeah, so that's my take on the situation. All in all, it's just fucked up. <laughs> yeah. On that note, be sure to like and subscribe the show. Tell a friend. Do whatever you're going to do. Email me, whatever. Um, and we will be back next week. This podcast is produced to you by Taylor Miller.